with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. Today, I have Patty Sanchez, and this is going to be a fun conversation. She has just published a book with Duarte, and this is going to be really, really cool. I mean, it is a beautiful book. It is just, well, it's everything that aligns with what I would think of when I think of Duarte, Patty, but we'll get into that. But I'm going to tell listeners about you. So everyone, Patty is a communication expert. She has more than 30 years of experience leading transformative marketing initiatives for brands and causes. She is co-author of an award-winning book on change communication called Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. Her writing has been featured everywhere. Fast Company, Forbes, HBR.org, Sloan Management Review. As Chief Strategy Officer for Duarte Inc., Sanchez develops product strategies for the training business and teaches executives and teams how to create authentic connections with audiences and to lead change through persuasive communication. She lives in the Bay Area. She has a canary named Harry Nielsen. Harry yes. Canary? Is yeah. that a Harry Carey? Is there a Chicago connection here? There's a bit of that. Yes. Harry <laughs> Nielsen was a, uh, a singer songwriter who I quite enjoy, but also, yes, I spent about five years outside Chicago, Chicago as a kid. <laughs> and so, yes, I do have a fondness for the Cubs. Oh, that's awesome. Patty, thanks so much for being here. I'm thrilled. I can't wait to dig into presenting virtually. Yes. So tell, well, really quickly before we do that, is there anything that's not in your bio that listeners should know about you? 
Well, I, I just touched on it. I, uh, I live in Silicon Valley, but my roots are in the Midwest. I mm. uh, spent a good number of years in the Chicagoland area and family from Ohio and Wisconsin. And so I hope that tells you that I'm a decent human being <laughs> and I follow rules and I enjoy cheese and beer. So, Patty, that's so funny because you said Wisconsin a little was like because I'm from Minnesota. Right. Oh. And that's where I grew up. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> so when we left Minneapolis, right, I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis. And yes, it was we were in Milwaukee or Madison or Chicagoland or, you know, Des Moines or there really wasn't too much around within five hours. Yeah, I know. They're all great places. And Aren't I think they? it just, yeah, it taught me how to be humble and work hard. And so I'm proud of those roots. Oh, well, when I think of any of those areas, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, it is, it's a great place to be from. That's for sure. Again, this beautiful, beautiful publication presenting virtually communicate and connect with online audiences. We were talking before we started, this is going nowhere. It'll be with us in some form or fashion moving forward. And I just see this as such a wonderful opportunity to, in some ways, kind of master another medium, right? I mean, we have maybe a, a TED Tiles talk, or we have a From the Podium talk, or a, a webinar, and this is just another medium for us to master. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I think it is the the way that we're working now. It, it wasn't new to me and, and to many organizations. You know, people have been presenting online for some time since the internet really came to be, yet it's a lot more pervasive than it ever was. And I think it's a really important medium because it reaches so many people. It's worth investing the time and effort to do it well. It is. You know, and it's opened up so many wonderful opportunities. So I'm, I'm a professor in a college of business. I have a, a world-class scholar coming to speak to my class Thursday evening from Harvard. She's incredible, Barbara Kellerman. She'll be with us. And I can secure her for a price. And I can really, the dates are all over the place. There's so, there's so much availability because I can just say a Thursday sometime in the fall. And it doesn't have to be this three-day excursion for her. And she opens up the computer helps her students understand her perspective on the topic of leadership, shuts it down an hour later. And I mean, it's, it's just really afforded so many wonderful opportunities, this new medium. Now, is it correct for everything? No. Will it replace being together? No. But I think selectively understanding when this tool and this medium is appropriate, it just op it opens up a lot of opportunities. It really does, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the biggest benefits of presenting online are the reach that you get. You can reach so many more people, you know, more quickly, more cheaply in a lot of ways and the convenience for presenters. But the, the other benefit that really blew my mind as I started researching how other companies are doing this yeah. is inclusion. And it never really occurred to me how this kind of this medium democratizes access to information in a, yeah. in a similar way to television did. And I think that's profound and important and, again, worthy of attention. I had never thought of that. I hadn't thought of that at all. Talk a little bit more about when you had that insight, because I think you're exactly right. Peter Diamandis, I don't know if you've come across Peter and his work at Singularity University being in the Bay Area, but he talks of, you know, about once something's digitized, it's demonetized and it's democratized, right? That, that, this, that this medium really does open it up for anyone anywhere in the world to gain access, right? So yeah. I, I love that thinking. 
Well, it, it really became apparent in the work that Duarte does with the big global brands that we support on their events. We help their you know, leaders stand on stage and deliver to you know, typically in-person audiences. And of course, they had to pivot to virtual. And what they all realized, Salesforce, Microsoft, Apple, these other really large companies, is that they they quadrupled, quintupled or more their audience size for their events when they went online. But what they realized is that they were reaching people in corners of the globe that have never been able to come to their events in the past. It couldn't afford the ticket, couldn't afford the travel, just couldn't give the time. And yep. it really was exposing a wholly new audience to their ideas. And you know that's powerful for both sides of the equation, the speaker and the audience. Oh, and that's a great way to say it for both sides of the equation, for sure, because it just opens it up. It opens it up in a really, really beautiful way. Well, and speaking of opening up, okay, so I, I've had the book for about a day and a half now, so I have not read it cover to cover. I've gone to certain sections that had titles that really intrigued me. Can I jump around a little bit and just maybe we can play with some different ideas? Because I think yeah. I love how you're framing up some different conversations throughout, okay? Figure nine. You don't remember what figure nine was. <laughs> oh man, I'm failing to test already. Uh. <laughs> I was going really super geek on you there. All but right, no, yeah. Three I, layers of information in a virtual presentation. I love this because I still see, oh my gosh, Patty, senior level leaders in very successful organizations showing up and you know, either they're a shadowy dark figure. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we can't see them. Yeah. But this, let's talk about these three layers. I, I think that's a really neat way of thinking about this topic. That that refers to the three layers of information that the audience sees through the camera lens. When you're using virtual communication technology, typically you're you have your camera on as a presenter, and so the audience will see you, but they also see your environment and they see your slides or graphics, whatever you're choosing to share. What was an interesting insight at Duarte as we worked with a lot of executives in their virtual communication was exactly what you said, which is they would give a lot of thought to their slides. They would yes. obsess over them, but they wouldn't think at all about the environment that they were sitting in as they shared their slides in this you know, town hall meeting or something like that. They certainly uh, didn't give the same attention to that environment as they would to the stage at their you know, biggest customer event. And so this this idea of the three layers, Duarte calls the tricast method because you're you're broadcasting three things at once. Wow. You as the speaker, your graphics, and the backdrop behind you. And and I would argue that all three of them are equally important and deserve as much attention as you're planning and preparing your presentation. It, that intentionality behind okay, me, my slides, my background, and are all three layers communicating what I want them to. <laughs> exactly. Be intentional. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's that's what's interesting is, and, and what's fascinating about that, Patty, is then it's almost as though there are three opportunities to potentially miss it, right? And, or if you're missing, let's mm. say you're missing the slides and the background or the technology component of all of this, right? Maybe you don't have a great microphone or maybe your lighting is off. Right. Then you get into this point where uh, one of the chapters of the book, which I love, manage their distractibility. And I love the phrasing of that. 
And so if, if there's something working against you in one of those layers, it becomes another source of distraction for your audience. I mean, yes. at minimum, they have other things on their desktop that are competing for their attention. The, yes. the email and other applications, just the work they're trying to do because they feel so behind, they're multitasking during your presentation. So you have that working against you. And then also, if you've got some noise in your environment or some clutter in your backdrop, then that's just another reason for your audience to pay attention to something other than what you're actually saying, which should be your main goal is to get yes. them to focus on your words and walk away remembering something significant from your talk. Well, and the first subcategory of manage their distractibility is hook them early on. So how do you think about that? Well, there are a lot of different ways you can hook your audience. Certainly the start, that opening gambit, speechwriters love to talk about that. You know, begin with a quote, not, I'm so excited to talk with you today about my topic. So being a little unconventional in the way that you open your presentation can help to hook them. Also interacting with them early on. And this is something that we practice in the training courses that we do at Duarte. There needs to be some kind of interaction with the audience within the first 10 minutes, if not sooner, to draw them into the conversation conversation to, you know, uh, start to build that behavior of engaging in conversation with you. Uh, But it's not just about the interaction. It's also about the content that you share. And you can learn a lot from television uh, when you're thinking about how to craft engaging and interesting content for virtual presentation, because they know they can lose their audience in minutes, if not seconds, to another channel. So pay attention to what they're doing to grab your attention. One thing, Patty, as we transitioned in this new space of being online, I was very, very accustomed to being with a group, setting a tone, using my sense of humor as a way to hook the audience and just set a certain tone for the presentation. Well, for the first, I don't know, it must have been three or four months, I really struggled with how to do that in this online space. And then literally, I think I was on a jog on the treadmill one day and I was about to speak to a law firm. And talk about, I mean, for me, at least, physicians and attorneys are oftentimes two of the most difficult audiences, right? So how do you set a tone with a group of attorneys that are there for, you know, legal, legal education time, and they're kind of literally doing time, speaking of managing their distractions. True. So it was interesting because I, I, it just popped in my head. I said, okay, I'm going to ask them a question just to start off and set a tone. And so I asked the question, I said something to the effect of, okay, this, this is going to tell me everything I need to know about all of you. What was the first concert you attended? And just put it that in the chat, if you would. And Patty, like 40 bands just pop up and it's in sync. And the, the woman who ran the office was Jimi Hendrix. And so I just went through and, you know, just kind of highlighted some of those, you know, Backstreet Boys and whatever it was. And it created this tone and people started unmuting and they were commenting to each other yeah. and using humor and connecting and hooking them early. I love your way of thinking about that, that the television has clues because, and, and Peter Hopwood calls it, I believe an intention reset. Like, how are we, what are we doing to right. kind of keep people engaged with us in this medium? Because if you're turned to the side, looking down and reading long slides, it's, it's over. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you touched on a couple of uh, strategies you can use to keep that audience engaged and, and re-engaged. And one of the roots of it is is in psychology, and I'm sure you know this, that the way that our brains respond to novelty, to new things in our environment is it causes us to look up and take notice. Yeah. And so when you vary things within your presentation, whether that's the actual content on your slides, the look of the slides, or your tone of voice, it draws your audience back in because we're just trained to be on the alert for something that's changing. And so that's a a kind of a hack that you can use to use our brains uh, in your favor to draw their focus back to you. A little bit further on, you start talking about, and, and the words you choose in the book are just so wonderful orchestrate purposeful interactions. Mm. I might have written in my own writing, you know, make it interactive, but but you drill down on this and I couldn't agree more. We're not just putting you in a breakout for the sake of a breakout or doing a poll for the sake of a poll, but it's purposeful. What are these interactions and are they purposeful adding to what we're trying to accomplish? Absolutely. Duarte's philosophy about communication is always rooted in empathy. And that means understanding your audience and what they're dealing with and also what your intention is for how you want to move them during the presentation. Where are they starting and they're thinking and feeling? Where do you want them to end up when you're done? And I think of interactions as another tool you can use to cause that kind of movement. In the book, I talk about three types of interactions. It's a very simple rubric, but essentially simple, moderate, and complex interactions. And each of those has a different, I'd say, level of cognitive load on you as the presenter and on the audience. Polls, I think, are useful for taking a quick pulse of your participants. And in that way, it's a light load. It's a a quick way to warm people up, but they also don't give your audience or you very much insight. And I start to glaze over when a a presenter is using too many polls because it's It's yeah, it's low effort. It also feels a little lazy. Uh, So I want to mix those up a little bit to keep it more interesting for the audience, but also to draw out deeper insights and discussion with them. So that's what the moderate interactions are for. That's things like asking people a question they can put the answer to in the chat, like the uh, example you shared of, you know, what was the first concert you went to? That's fun. People can quickly share. And it also is a more comfortable way for some people to interact, especially if they're introverted or they need time to think, they can form their words in typed form and put them into the chat. And then the complex interactions are those ones where we're really asking them to engage more deeply in the discussion with you. Go off mute, turn the camera on, go into a breakout room. And those can be really stimulating, but they can also be draining. So I try not to send people into breakouts right away. They need to be warmed up. You got to break the ice, prime the pump before I ask them to do that much work. Well, there are, there are some really unique and interesting advantages. On Thursday night, when I have this, when I have Barbara Kellerman speak, what I'll do at the end is I'll say, okay, if you would just reflect by putting one word in the chat so we can give Barbara some feedback as to how she did tonight. And it's beautiful because you'll hear, you'll see inspired, wonderful, excellent, incredible, wonderful. And this, she leaves feeling great about what she just did. And if we were to do that live, you know, what was your first concert? Go around the room. (laughs) You know, that's like a million years, 25, 30 minutes. (laughs) Right. Same thing with that ending activity. So there's so many really neat advantages. I like how you're suggesting that we can't, we have to kind of be aware of those levels of interaction, but then also not jump to some of these too quickly. It's empathetic. 
Yep. Uh, you know, have you ever been in a in a session where, you know, like you said, face to face, where uh, the speaker wants to so hard to engage the audience? Just you can tell they really want it badly, and they pose this really lofty question to the group, and dead silence. <laughs> for everybody, don't do that. You know, it's laddering, laddering. Work them up to it. <laughs> exactly. And there's nothing more awkward than when the when, however, the the speaker often not well responds to that. Well, you're a quiet group this morning or I can wait, you know, just <laughs> yeah. 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 Cringe. <laughs> and you just think, Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's a topic that you have in here that I don't think many people would have, but you actually, you have some, some visuals too. I think with Nancy about, well, the topic is move with intention. In this space, I think we think of ourselves as being locked into this box and we can't move, but there's options. Would yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Moving with intention. For sure. I'll say why I think it's important first, yeah. because as I was researching and writing this book, what really stood out to me is as the central challenge of virtual communication is the way it diminishes our presence. Presence is essential to building relationships for people to feel like they're connected with each other. And yet, when we're trying to communicate through a screen and a camera and a laptop and, you know, all of this technology, it can make it feel like essentially there were walls between us. Yep. So I think it behooves the, the speaker, or the presenter to work a little harder to project their presence into the room of yes. their online audience. And we can do that a few ways. The first is, you mentioned it earlier, by making eye contact with the camera, but also by using our facial expressions and our gestures also purposefully, intentionally. Yes. So the, the idea that you can amplify your presence, make your audience feel more like you're there with them is, is helped by you using your face and your body to underscore the things that you're saying. And this is something that we teach in our Captivate workshop for on-stage presentations. You know, a speaker needs to take up space and, and you can block the stage with movements that support what you're saying. The same is true with virtual communication. Yes, the square is a little smaller, but anything that is seen within the camera's field of view is a device that you yep. can use to reinforce your message. So just hold your hands up a little higher. Yes, And use your hands to, for instance, to amplify your feeling like, uh, you know, hands on heart to show how much affection you feel or to signify something like some numbers that you're communicating, you know, one through 10, or to essentially draw lines in the air to help your audience see something that you're describing. Maybe that's conceptual. I call that delineating in the book, but essentially it's, it's another device you can use to communicate information, your hands. Yes. Yes. One well, device, that's such an important word. I mean, a device, a tool, you've used the word hack. I think these are all options that each one of us have. And are we aware of these different tools or options to engage? And are we intentional then about how we're using, whether it's a poll, whether it's a breakout, whether it's our voice, whether it's moving forward a little bit or and being more intentional about a gesture. If I put my hand to my chin as I'm listening, all of those are, and again, I think I'd never thought of this before. You said it, but television really does give us a nice, a nice example. For me, 
radio does as well, because sometimes when I'm presenting, I feel a little bit like a DJ, right? Like, you know, yes. good morning and welcome to my session. You know, yes. <laughs> here's some Led Zeppelin for you. You know, oh, I'm listening because you're kind of, you know, you're manufacturing your energy. But to your point, you have to amplify that a little bit to help that shine through to the audience, right? For sure. And I'm glad that you mentioned radio because I also talk about it in the book. And I think it was the original virtual communication in a lot of ways, yeah. uh, reaching big audiences through a technology. You know, yep. now that seems pretty old school, yeah. but yeah. radio talent early on figured out how to hold an audience's attention while they're in the middle of doing something else. Yes. They're cooking dinner, they're driving somewhere. And so they figured out how to use dynamic sound yep. to hook that audience and hold them. So you should do the same. Yes. Patty, as we wind down our conversation for today, is there anything else from the book, one or two things that stood out for you that we haven't covered that you just want listeners to have on their radar? Yeah, something we haven't talked about yet is slides. We haven't discussed them very much. Yeah. And I think they're just as important as a reinforcement, as a visual aid as they ever were before, but they need to be designed differently for the online viewer. Yeah. So something that Duarte has preached forever, uh, this idea of simplifying your slides down to one idea, one idea yes. per slide is especially true online because if people are looking at your presentation, say you're sharing your slides, but they're looking at it on an iPad or their mobile phone, then it's going to be even harder to read, which means even less content that you normally would share bigger typeface than you normally would use. And that will make it more accessible to your audience. And I think that's another theme that is also really important is accessibility. Yes. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, the fact that this medium lets you reach many more people also means that you need to be empathetic toward many more people and many kinds of people with different abilities. And the good news is technology is making that easier with closed captioning and, and you know screen readers that make it easier for people to consume your content, regardless of their level of ability. So um, keep that in mind too. But if you're putting something into motion where it's tiny text with 17 bullet points on a slide that no one's going to be able to consume because they're looking at it through a mobile phone or mm. they're on the move, or I, I couldn't agree. I think I think Nancy had a quote in one of the books because I have them, but is if, if people can't check in with what's going on on your slide in three to five seconds, you're, you're competing with it. There's too much. And yeah. you're now that slide isn't complimenting you. You're competing with it. It was something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. We call that the glance test three seconds or less. Okay. Uh, it's, it's as quickly as you can read a billboard, you know, if you're zooming down the highway and you can't figure out what that billboard is saying, then yep. it's not effective at communicating in a glance. And the same is true of slides. So yep. it's, in a lot of ways, I think the principles that make for effective presentations face-to-face -face also apply to virtual presentations, but that's just table stakes. Yes. Good slides, rehearsed presenter. Yeah. Uh, those are fundamentals. Interesting <laughs> content, like have an idea people care about. Those are great places to start. <laughs> Some baselines. <laughs> Just some baselines. But there's more that this medium can do. And there's more that you can do with it if you are thoughtful and empathetic and strategic in the way you plan those presentations. Literally before we were we jumped on to this recording today, I was speaking with a, a contact. I'm speaking to an organization which is devoted to women in manufacturing. And 
my contact said, yeah, there's 150 people who are going to be with us from literally all over the country. And that's an opportunity. And if I can turn on the Zoom, open up the Zoom and really do a nice job of captivating them to your point and yeah. delivering content that is meaningful. And there's, there's opportunity there in many ways like there never has been before. Anything else before we wind down? I think you nailed it. I think that the opportunity is the right way to think about this medium. Yes, it can be challenging. Yes, it can be taxing. And I have to acknowledge that as a presenter, all these things that I say you should practice can be draining. It puts, you know, it it takes more reserves. You have to prepare more and you have to project yourself, squeeze your full being through a tiny dot. That's not easy. It's like teleportation or something. Uh, It's worth it, though, because audiences will feel your presence more and they'll be more moved by your communication. But know that that takes effort. So you also have to take care of yourself. Yes. That's so well said. That's so well said. It's your mother speaking. (laughs) Patty, okay. The book is called Presenting Virtually. Communicate and connect with online audiences. We will put the link in the show notes so that you have access to that. Uh, Go out and purchase this beautiful book that is just very, very well done. And again, I love the language that you're using throughout because it's just so crisp as to what we're actually trying to do. So Patty, thank you so much for being with us today and stopping by and sharing your wisdom. Thank you. I think it's it's such an important conversation to have. Couldn't be a better time. And I couldn't have had a better time, honestly. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. If you are a leader and you communicate, then you should know about the work of Duarte. Nancy Duarte is the founder, and Patty Sanchez was gracious enough to spend her time with me. She's just incredible. And this really is a beautiful, beautiful publication. So if you find yourself communicating a lot online, this is worth the investment. It just is. Because I think great leaders are also great communicators. And investing time in your communication skills, knowledge, abilities, is a great investment. So Patty, thank you so much. You know, there's going to be a few more communication-oriented podcast episodes coming up. So be on the lookout for those. And I hope you are well, wherever you are in the world. In the States, it is the season of thanks. And I'm thankful for each one of you for checking in every week. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.